of you feel like, um, maybe it was a long time ago, maybe it's recent, but how many of you feel like at this point in your walk with the Lord, you have a, you're at least at the beginning of, if not further along, in an understanding of the nature of God? How many of you know that if I say something that is from God, um, but it doesn't seem to make sense with his nature, that a lot of us in this room would go, hmm, right? So I said to you right now, um, every person in this place has to give $100 or they're going to get in a car wreck on the way home. How many of you would go, that doesn't sound like God to me. Do you know what I'm talking about? So we, we learn the nature of God. And sometimes when I read the Bible, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the word of God, I find something and I go, this doesn't seem to match up to the word or the nature of God. Anyone ever read something and go, that doesn't sound like the God I know. And then I, and, but then I, but I know that the word of God is infallible. And so I'm, I'm trying to figure out oftentimes how to reconcile what I know about God and other scriptures in the Bible with the current scripture. Unfortunately, what often happens, instead of actually diving in to the ancient Greek or the Hebrew, really diving in and trying to get a better understanding of things, um, we, we take scriptures that seem to not match up with the nature of God, and we modify them to suit our like theology du jour, you know, the theology of the day. So whatever suits what we're trying to accomplish uh, in the name of God, we oftentimes will take a scripture and that doesn't seem to match up with the nature of God and we'll use it knowing that something's not right here. But instead of actually diving into it, if it suits what we're trying to accomplish, even though it may not be the, in the nature of God, we'll use it. And this particular passage of scripture, which I've heard preached a million different ways, it seems like, there's something in this scripture that never made sense. So I decided to look into the Greek to figure out if these two words that are in this scripture actually meant what we think it means and what's been preached that it means. Since I don't have my clicker, I feel very powerless, but I guess I'll let you do it. All right, next. Oh, it's already there. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. We're talking about uh, grape vines here, the grapes, what they make wine from, okay? Um, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Keep it there for me. The phrase takes away bothers me here. I know, don't ruin it. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> My heavens. Spoiler alert, don't sit next to him. All right? I was listening. My heart was not open to receive. Would you like to preach it? Um, so this particular, um, this particular phrase here has always bothered me. Um, until my dad preached it, apparently, and then I got straight. Um, this word takes away, and actually, I looked up some commentaries on this written in the 1800s and early 1900s. And commentaries are scholars that sit down to write a commentary about 
a scripture given historical context or what we know from other scriptures that relate to it. You know, they mix in some of the prophecies about that time, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, to try to get a greater understanding or meaning of it. I read a couple of commentaries, and the commentaries on this reinforced what I've heard people talk about this other than my dad. Um, and that was this. They, a couple of these commentaries explained it this way. If you don't bear fruit, God takes you home. Has anyone ever heard this preached that way? That God will just take you. If you're not here to bear fruit, God will take you home. Right? Another one that I read said, and this was the, at the time, this was what they thought. Another one read, said that if, if you don't bear fruit, if, you, if you're in Christ and you don't bear fruit, that God literally will remove you. Take away. Right? So I was like, okay, well, that doesn't sound like the nature of God because he's patient and he's kind. And everything I've been talking about lately says that, that he's paid the price. We have the favor, the blessing of God. It's unearned. It's unmerited. All this stuff, this doesn't seem to make sense. So I went into the Greek, or my dad went into the Greek, and I went into the Greek more recently. And the word, uh, if you can go forward, take away, is airo. That's the Greek word, airo. And it means this. It means to lift up, to take up, or to raise. Now let me show you that picture for a moment. I'm going to read this again. So go, go to the next one. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he lifts up. Now, does that not make more sense in the nature of God? That he lifts up? I'm going to explain to you what that looks like. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Now, that's verse 3 is just, that's another message. But we'll talk a little bit about that. But verse 2 here that he lifts up and every branch that bears fruit. Now, I want you to see this picture. How many of you have ever visited uh, vines before? Uh, grape vines, a winery, whatever it is. We're not admitting that you're an alcoholic. I just need to know if you have visited. Okay, so I have. I'm not ashamed to say it. I've visited. Uh, I've been to Napa, and I went to my wife's home country in Chile. There's vineyards and vines everywhere. If you've ever been there, you'll realize that a vine, the branch of a vine, has to cling to something. It has to be anchored to something. If it's not anchored to something, it will lay flat on the ground and die and wither up. And it won't produce fruit. So it has to cling to something. So they have all sorts of ways that they, they uh, things that they allow these vines to grow on and attach and, and, and stay secure and cling to something. A um, bunch of different ways. One of the ways is a trellis. Uh, uh, other ways are they have wire that will run through a vineyard. They they have uh, sometimes just pieces of wood that are, believe it or not, in the shape of a cross, which has all sorts of symbolism that allows that vine to work together. Another interesting fact about the vine is that before it bears fruit, not only does it have to cling to something, it has to anchor itself on something, but it has to get up high enough for its branches to spread out. And when you go into a vineyard, these branches, these, these vines, they don't just spread out, but their vines connect together. Anybody starting to see this picture here? And they actually, their vines will intertwine, and it's hard to tell where the fruit of this vine 
ends and where the fruit of the next vine begins. They actually help support one another. So let me show you a picture of what that looks like. This is underneath, uh, this is a different type of vineyard. This wouldn't be one that's used for wine. But this is a picture of something that we actually parked our car underneath in Santa Cruz in Chile. Do you remember that? And the grapes were, were underneath the canopy. But you can see it's very hard to see where one starts and the next one ends or vice versa. They seem to connect together to form almost a single plant stretched out across the vineyard. Go to the next picture. This is a more traditional vineyard for in, in, a, in a winery in a place um, where they're making wine. You can see how they grow together. In this case, there's wire um, that's running that allows them to cling and stay secure. Now, when you plant a, if you, when you plant a, um, a vine, it takes three years to bear fruit. This is interesting because uh, um, if you have a conversation with somebody and, and we, if, we, if we ever get to a place where we are trying to judge whether or not Jesus is having an effect on people by whether or not they're bearing fruit. Sometimes it's deceiving. Because his analogy for who we are and how we bear fruit comes from a plant that takes three years to produce fruit. And the fruit it produces in three years is no good. It takes a minimum of five years is the magic number. Also the number of grace, but that's a whole other message, right? Five years for a vine to mature enough where they'll even consider beginning to make wine with it, with the grapes. Five years. There's a maturation process that happens. And there's a process where those vines have to be lifted up. They have to be raised up. And in order for a vineyard to be strong and healthy, they will connect together. And when one of those vines does not get connected and it falls to the ground, the, the, the vineyard, the vine dresser, the one who's responsible for keeping the vineyard, does not come and cut it off and remove it. It doesn't come and penalize that vine for laying on the ground and not producing fruit. Are we getting the picture here? Of, of, of Jesus himself. He doesn't come, and this is, inter, this is interesting, this is a really interesting, do you know who the number one enemy of the Israelites were? The Philistines. They were the biggest, they were the baddest, they had the biggest army. The, the Israelites were scared, scared, scared of the Philistines. Do you know what the word Philistine means? It means to wallow in the dust or to lay on the ground. The greatest enemy of Israel was to lay on the ground and to wallow in the dust. I'm going to connect this for you because I'm throwing out a lot of symbolism. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? It's cool. I'm throwing out a lot of symbolism here. The greatest thing that the enemy can get you to do is to lay on the ground, disconnected, and without exposure to the sun, and all of the things we need to produce fruit. The greatest thing that the enemy can get you to do is to push you down and make you feel lower than dirt. I'm going to go a step further than that. It's the enemy's plan 
and has been for centuries to use part of the man-made part of religion to keep people down. Keep us down. And then on top of it, religion has kept people down for centuries, for millennial, millenniums. We've kept people down and then judged them because they weren't bearing fruit. Are you hearing me tonight? Maybe I should talk in a southern accent, get you all with me. God bless you. So glad you're here. I'm just here to just tell you about Jesus' love. Are you with me? The, if the enemy can make you wallow in, 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 and be depressed in the shame of your life and your regrets and the what-ifs, he can do exactly what the Philistines do. The Philistines came, and what, did, what was the purpose of Goliath himself? It was to show that you are nothing but a nasty, disgraceful little thing who doesn't even belong standing on the other side of the battlefield from me. I am so much bigger and stronger and higher than you, and you're nothing to me. The Bible says that he mocked the, the Israelites. He mocked them. He openly mocked them until a little ruddy-faced uh, you know, uh, shepherd boy came out there and whooped him. He mocked them. He mocked them because he knew they were nothing but the Israelites who wallowed in the dirt and the dust. The enemy always comes to push you down. If you hear a sermon and at the end of it you feel lower than when you walked in, it is not the word of God. Are you with me? Jesus came to lift us up. He didn't come to tear us down. He didn't come to push us down. He didn't come to step on us. As a matter of fact, there's all sorts of examples in the word of God where Jesus would heal somebody, then he'd reach out and he'd lift them up. He came to lift them up. He lifted them out of their lame beds. He lifted them out of their death beds. He lifted uh, the demonic boy that he cast the, the devil out of. He lifted that demonic. The Bible says after he, he commanded that demon to come out, he reached down with his hands and he lifted him up. Jesus is not just here to set you free and let you wallow and the shame of your sin and your past and your regret. He comes to set you free and then lift you up so that you can bear fruit. And if that vine would hit the ground, this, according to this scripture, that word, airo, it means this. It means that the vine dresser would come and he would lift that vine up. He wouldn't penalize the vine. He wouldn't spit on the vine. He wouldn't knock it down. He wouldn't cut it off. He didn't punish it. He would come along to that vine and he would say, hey, you're not bearing any fruit. Something's not right here. You're too low to the ground. And he would lift it up. See, the gospel is about lifting people up. It's not about putting them down. If you've ever been felt put down by somebody who came from a Christian point of view, they were not preaching the gospel. It's not good news. Jesus came, what? To give us, what? Life. Do you think it's life if you take away that vine who's not producing fruit? As we've read that scripture. Do you think it's giving that vine life if you cut it off? We were in, uh, in Chile and, and with, uh, for her family's, her grandfather's 90th birthday. We took two days and went down to this country where there's all sorts of vineyards. And you'd find uh, some vines that were sick or something like that that are in a separate part of the vineyard. And they would be laying on the ground and they're dead. And if you've ever seen a dead vine, it ain't pretty. Nothing pretty about it. It's a dead piece of gnarled wood. You know, you can get a piece of wood that, that's no longer alive in a tree and it's beautiful. A dead vine, there's nothing beautiful about it. 
That vine's laying there. It dries up. It's a gnarled piece of wood. It's got fibers coming in. There's nothing pretty about it. Do you really think that the one who came to give us life comes to leave us on the side of a trash heap because we weren't producing fruit fast enough? He came to lift us up. He came to Peter's mother and he lifted her up out of her sickbed. He came to the daughter of Jairus and lifted her up out of her deathbed. He came to lift people up, the leper. Do you know that word, airo, which means to lift up, is the same word that when the lepers came to Jesus, they said to Jesus, uh, the Bible says that the lepers lifted their voice and then said, Jesus. Same word, they airo their voice. When Jesus ran to the tomb of Lazarus, same word. Jesus ran to the tomb of Lazarus. It says that he airo his eyes. He lifted his eyes. Same word. Just like they lifted their voice, just like he lifted his eyes. My iPad is dead and I'm preaching from my mind, okay? Just like Jesus came to lift us up. I think it's dead. It is. He came to lift us up. The gospel is about reaching back and lifting people up. It's, it's never making them feel lower than when they encountered you. If you preach Jesus, you preach a gospel that reaches people where they're at and lifts them up. Do you hear me tonight? The vine dresser came to display his logo in 3D. And if you weren't bearing fruit, it says that he came to lift you up. And then it says this. Then it says, and to produce more fruit. And then if you read in verse four or five, it says, much fruit. The worst case scenario here, when you're in Jesus, you're only producing fruit. Best case, much fruit. Worst case, fruit. But Jesus comes so that he can give us life and life more abundantly. Is that good tonight? That's my mini sermon. From my head. <laughs>